1: Well, hello again, everyone. Uh, Thank you all so much for being with us. Whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us live online, maybe you're listening to the podcast throughout the week or watching the video midweek, just know that whenever you're part of our service, whenever you're part and partaking in the sermon, I believe that each person who's supposed to hear this is going to hear this, and I believe that God has something in store for each and every one of us, specifically as we enter into this brand new series called The Bridge. Now, by way of introduction for this, I'll explain why it's called The Bridge in a moment, but... I wanted to start off by ex, uh, explaining or describing a very recent interaction I had with the bridge, which sounds like a very weird way to say that. That's okay. So yesterday, uh, there was a group of men uh, that had been part of the men's retreat. And there were three that stayed on Friday night, Saturday night, and are coming back later today. There were six of us that drove down just for the Saturday-only option, which was great because it was uh, three good meals. had a session that was good. We had opportunity to partake in different things. So some of us, we did some axe throwing. We did some archery. uh, And then two of us, Chris Komodo and I, were able to do the high ropes course. Now, to start off with, the high ropes course discussion started off with uh, Chris saying, hey, do you wanna go listen and maybe check out and then decide later? And I said, sure, and we walk over there. And as we walk up, the person instructing said, okay, only the people here are gonna do it, no one else. I'm like, oh no. So this is what you know, healthy peer pressure does, I guess. So I'm there getting ready and I get all strapped in, go through the training and you climb up 30 feet up in the air and then you start the course. Now, here's what I want. I wanna show you the picture of how I want you to think the whole experience went. So we have a picture on the screen here, um, and I look very majestic. I feel like I have my power pose on, uh, and I feel like I'm ready to conquer the world. And so I want you to think, you know, at least for the first few seconds, that this was how my entire experience was. I just conquered it, it was easy, it was great but then I would be lying to you. And so um, here's the last arc. So what you do is you start off and you have one where you have to like shimmy this way. Then you have another one that has ropes that you kind of have to follow along. Then you have one that's like a tightrope this way. So the last one was this bridge. We have a picture here of the bridge in which it's just these planks that are here and you, they're at kind of different angles. And from 30 feet below on the ground, and perhaps from a television screen or from watching live or at home, this doesn't look like it's all that difficult perhaps, but every step is very wobbly, right? And so as you're going there and you're you're thinking, okay, this is not that hard. Now, Chris Komodo went before me and he was able to do this whole portion without like holding on to anything. And so I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really impressed. And terrified of this dynamic and so he did great and he finished um, and then it was my turn and you know I'm just I'm just kind of wobbling a little bit and so I definitely would hold on but I want to show you the beginning of this and then I want to show you the picture of how I felt about halfway through maybe we could zoom in a little bit in case uh, this face right here is the face of someone who's questioning his decisions from the previous 15 minutes and why did I decide to go about this and so to be clear I made it all the way through, I got to zip line down at the end, and it it worked out just fine, but there's this moment when I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing here, I don't know why, not like metaphysically what I'm doing here, but just in this moment, like why am I climbing 30 feet up in the air, I just wanted to maybe hear a little bit about it, and now here I am walking a bridge between, I mean, I'm all alone, it's like an island of a little platform, and you're there, and there's just enough space to get across, and then you end by going on a zip line, and it's fun. Here is what I want to communicate or connect with about this series. A series called The Bridge. Now, why is it called The Bridge? The reason behind this is that, you know, naturally I have, I've shared this before with you, um, One of my random fears is fears of bridges. Now, it's not like a—it's not obviously going to keep me paralyzed. Like it's not a fear that I can't do anything with. But when I'm on like a bridge, like Coronado, or there's a bridge over in Long Beach by the pier, that I just—I'm like I'm just holding on tightly to it. And I think it's a mix of, um, as as Jeremy recently said on our retreat, it's not a a fear of heights; it's a fear of falling. Right? It's a fear of falling from heights but also it's the idea of a bridge. It's like the underwater is the unknown. So it's just a weird mix. We'll talk about it later. But I end up having this moment where I'm like, I don't like bridges. But there's something that's really important for us to talk about Um, over the next three weeks. It's a little bit of a shorter series, and in this series, we're going to talk about the importance for us. Maybe we feel, maybe you feel like I felt when I was on the top of that ropes course, and I'm on this little itty-bitty platform, and there's no space really for anybody else, maybe one other person, maybe, but you know where you want to go, and yet you feel isolated, you feel alone, and you feel like There's just, there's no one else around you. And so what I want to do is discuss over the next few weeks what it's like to bridge from feeling lonely or isolated or struggling or feeling like you're on a platform for all to see all by yourself to what's it like to be able to have life-giving, God-honoring and important, impactful relationships with one another. So here's some statistics that were recently done um, from rootsofloneliness.com. Loneliness in the United States talks about how 52% of Americans report feeling lonely. 47% of Americans report that their relationships with others are not meaningful. It's the, hey, how you doing? And when we ask how you doing, It's, it's the, this is my way of saying hello, not my way of actually trying to hear about all of how you're doing, right? Those dynamics where it's kind of superficial or at least on the surface. And then 57% single or not, 57% of Americans report eating all meals alone. So that could be whether you're eating at work, whether you're at school, whether, you know, kids and everything's busy. And so you have to kind of sneak a meal by yourself um, throughout the day at some point. And it's this dynamic that even the most basic things of eating together, it symbolizes that many of us feel alone. Now, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm naturally an introvert, okay? So I naturally love alone time. So I can be friendly and I can be outgoing, but I also need to recharge. I'm not talking about introversion or extroversion here. I'm not talking about people who just like to have alone time. That's, that's great. That's healthy. That's a good thing. But what we're talking about people who aren't just feeling alone at times, but feel like they have a life alone, a life that is determined by loneliness, by isolation, which leads to heartache and difficulty. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this dynamic of what it looks like to build bridges, to build relationships. And if you're like me, sometimes a bridge can be scary and sometimes trying to make new friendships can be scary. But we can go and we can walk one step at a time as wobbly as those first steps of a friendship may be, as wobbly and uncomfortable as it may be to put yourself out there to want to connect with people. We can do it one step at a time. We can take one step, one relationship, one friendship at a time and eventually get to a point where we could look back and say, I can't believe I did that, but I'm so happy that I did. This morning we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 4, discussing what it looks like to take the bridge from a life alone to a life together. And with that said, will you join me in a word of prayer as we enter into God's word? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is part of our service today, whether that's live in person live online or listening or watching later. God, I thank you for the fact that each person you've created is some, or every, each person who hears me now is someone that you've created and that you love and that you have a plan for. God, I pray that each person who hears my voice would know that they are not truly alone. That we can build relationships as hard and as difficult as that may be, God, that we are not meant to be on islands, but that we are meant to be in community and in relationship with you first and foremost and then with others as well. So God, I pray that as we dive into your word that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If you are here with us, you brought your Bible on your phone or you brought your own Bible, open up to Ecclesiastes 4. We have Bibles in the seats um, underneath you if you want to be able to look there. And then we'll also have the verses on the screen. So what I want to do is I want to start off by looking at what it's like to have a life alone according to this section in Scripture. So Ecclesiastes is a book that was um, written by the teacher. It's Solomon the this man who ever lived according to uh, the Bible. And so it's one of those where he, he starts, and this is kind of written, usually we see it's at the end of his life, where he kind of reviews all the different ways he tried to pursue happiness, the ways he tried to pursue success, the different idols that he fell into. And he looks back and he starts saying a lot of it is meaningless. Trying to pursue after money is meaningless. Trying to pursue after success is meaningless. And he boils it down to the end of the book about the importance of pursuing God. But Here, we're in chapter 4, and we're talking about the idea of he contrasts someone who is alone versus two who are together in friendship. And so to start off, a life alone, the first thing as we jump in and we start around verse 7, is the first thing we talk about as a life alone is that a life alone, it knows endless toil. Endless toil, that it's a difficult, there's a lot of work, but it's not just work. It's the work that is hard and toilsome and not um, how it should be. Verse 7 starts off like this again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? Toiling, excuse me, he asked. That this is the idea that when you have to do a big project by yourself, I mean, I know. Shaylin recently started doing, uh, in fifth grade she has a group project to do, and we started talking about, you know, who's doing which role and everything, and so she was explaining the different roles. I remember sharing with her, you know, I used to not like group projects all the time because it would turn into me doing most of the work, and I remember there was a group project at Azusa Pacific where uh, there was five of us and we had to write five pages total, so each of us wrote a section, we each wrote a page, and then one guy, he finished his section, turned it in, went off to France, um, like he literally went off for like spring break. And then I looked at him like, this is not anything of what we discuss, and it's not going to work at all for our paper. So as he's in France, like, I don't know, enjoying like a croissant, like I'm sitting here like working and doing the, the all the work all over again for him. And it was toil. It was frustrating. But the idea here is that it's okay, like working of itself isn't part of the curse. Working of itself is good, and we'll hit on that in a couple moments. But the idea is when you're by yourself, and the example that Solomon's giving us is that when a man has no one else, no father, no brother, no one else to work the land, no one else to do that, his work is without end. And it's toil, it's difficult, it's hard. And we have to do things on our own without being able to turn to people, without asking for assistance or help, it can feel... One, endless, but also that it's hard work that's unnecessarily difficult. The kind of work that if we had someone else, we could get done in a few minutes. But when it's done by ourselves, it takes us hours. And so he starts off, he says, listen, there's toil and it does not end. He was alone. He had no one else around him and he had to keep constantly working. But, not, but in addition to endless toil, it's also a life of restless discontent. And if you caught this, we're going to read this section again. Is for whom I am, uh, for whom am I toiling? He asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and a miserable business. This idea of depriving himself of enjoyment—that when you're working so hard, and because you don't have anyone else to enjoy the fruits of your labor, we end up, or we can end up, getting into a mindset of getting. Um, workaholism, and we don't even get to enjoy the fruits of the hard work and the toil. We just say, well, I have no one else to enjoy this with. I have no one to celebrate this with. And so I'm going to find my identity and my hope and my purpose in the things I'm able to produce rather than in the relationships I'm able to foster and grow. And how, friends, if we could be honest, a lot of us experience this dynamic of working extra hard and having it be difficult work that we're doing by ourselves and then not even being able to enjoy it because we're exhausted, we're restless, we can't find contentment because we're ultimately trying to search for our contentment in an idol in something that cannot truly provide that which we need. And so as we're around, we're lonely, we're overworked, we're exhausted, we're discontented. Friends, without a showing of hands, I think Many of us can relate to many of those dynamics and those in and of themselves are difficult. But there's one more aspect of life alone that that I think is important for us to hit on as well. That because we don't have people around us to help us with our work, because we are exhausted, because we can't find contentment, because we're struggling to build bridges with new relationships and deeper relationships, we often discover the fact that life alone knows anguished isolation it knows this isolation that is heart it's hurtful it's painful it's difficult it causes us anguish and we long for someone else to just help carry the burden with us or for us we read things like Galatians 6 2 that says thus Carry one another's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. And we think, yes, like that is what I want. I want someone to help me up when I'm struggling. I want someone to share the load when I'm weak. I want someone to walk with me, even if they're not saying anything. But at least I know I'm not isolated. When uh, there's a story of an uh, Alcatraz prisoner named Jim Quillen. And I had an opportunity to go to Alcatraz when I was younger, growing up in the Bay Area. And Jim Quillen wrote a book talking about um, inside Alcatraz. And so I have the book here. And I didn't read the book, but I did get to hear him live talking about his experience in Alcatraz. And as part of his experience, he talked about when he would be sent into solitary confinement. And in order to survive solitary confinement, because it's all dark, no interaction, it's pure isolation. And so what he would do is he would take a button from one, from one of his shirts. And as he's in the, the room, no lights, anything, he would take off the button. He would throw it across the room. And then in the darkness, he would just shuffle around, feel around for it till he found the button. And then he repeated the process just to keep his mind going just to keep him from not going crazy, just to keep his himself busy or occupied. He talked about how difficult it was and how cold it was to be in this place with no, again, no amenities. It's it's solitary confinement. This is how he describes it. He talks about worse than the being cold though was the feeling of total isolation from the world. That on Alcatraz, you're already on an island, and th- so you don't always know what's going on. And then you're in solitary confinement. Then you're in a place where you don't talk to anyone, you don't get to see anything, it's all dark. And the only way to keep yourself sane is to be able to play finding the button in the middle of the darkness. And the pain that it caused to be that isolated. See, the penal system knows something that Christians maybe sometimes we often forget They know that the best way or one of the ways to to punish prisoners who are already in jail is to remove them from community and to put them in solitary confinement. So the question remains, why is it that so many of us choose isolation and solitary confinement in relationships rather than risk walking across the bridge to build deeper ones? Why is it that we choose a punishment for ourselves that even hardened criminals would say is the worst kind of punishment while they're in prison? To be removed from other people, to be removed from human contact, and to feel the isolation from the world. And yet, friends, many of us do this when we have a surface conversation and we don't and aren't willing to open up. When we aren't willing to say, hey, can we, can we start meeting? Can we connect? I, I think that we could be friends. We choose to be standing on the ropes course all by ourselves. Yeah, we're connected in, but there's nowhere to go except forward, and we're all by ourselves on the platform, wondering where everyone is to help us out. Friends, what does it look like for us to move from life alone where there's endless toil, discontentment, and anguished isolation. What does it look like for us to take a step, one wobbly step at a time, across the bridge to building a life together? So life together, we see this contrasted through the scriptures, where in contrast to verses 7 and 8, we see what verse 9 starts to show us, that life together knows fruitful labor. Not endless toil, but fruitful labor. Here's how he says it in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. It's the idea that as you're working together, two people working together can get done more than one person working twice as hard. You're able to work together and that's going to be able to multiply the ability of being able to work. So if I can lift a certain amount of weight and someone else can lift a certain amount of weight, together lifting a weight is actually greater than the sum of both our individual abilities and it can go even more and be able to lift a higher or have a higher amount, excuse me. So again, we often talk about how work is part of the curse. We think, oh, the work is part of the curse and that's why things are so difficult. But friends, work was something we've been called to do from the beginning of time. God said, He created Adam and said, Be fruitful. He said, Be multiplied. Before they said, Work the garden. Then He gave him the work of naming the animals. I mean, He had work to do, but it was pleasurable. It was good fruit for the labor, that as He worked the land, He could eat of the fruit. And yet, when the curse came, it was the idea that your work would be toil. It would be difficult. There'd be thorns and thistles that would make it more difficult for your crops to be able to grow. It was saying that which we've been designed to do will now be much more difficult because we try to step outside of God's direction and the limits that he put upon us. And so being able to work is okay. And working together, it's, it's this idea of being able to feel satisfied after a job well done. And how much greater it is to be satisfied after a job well done when you're able to do that with people around you as a team or as just one other person working together and enjoying the fruit of your labor. In addition to that, we also see that life together knows, and this is where maybe many of us need it the most, if I may be blunt or may share openly, it's knows mutual care. It's the idea idea of being able to help one another it's the idea that when we are stuck, when we are alone, that we could feel like we have someone whom we can call. Someone who knows that when they reach out, that, they, that we know, if we reach out to them, they will respond, they'll be with us, they'll sit alongside us, they'll comfort us and help walk us through these difficult times. Verse 10, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who fails, or excuse me, falls, and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? I remember um, when I was uh, geocaching one time. I know, just bear with me. Um, When I was geocaching one time, a friend and I, we went um, to this place that was like off-roading. He said he'd been there before, which already sounds ominous, but he said he'd been there before, and it was off-roading, and he drove his Toyota Scion. If you could picture a Scion, uh, it's not what we would like to call a four-wheel drive, right? Like, it's one of those where it's like a box, and it's... Anyways, so we're going, and he's, like, off-roading. It was really cool, because he actually made a geocache, like, in honor of me, and so I got to go see, like, the one that he made for me, um, and it was great. But we end up getting to this point where there's like little bumps in the middle of nowhere and his car gets just to the point where like we got stuck right here. And because there's no four wheel drive, we just got stuck and there was no traction in order to get out. So this put a damper on our plans. And it was one of those where, you know, it was not amount of like, we would try to like put something under the, um, like get something that could get traction with the wheels. It didn't work. He ended up calling another geocaching friend And that's when he drove, again, we're about an hour away from home and this other geocaching friend drove out and he tried to like, he would like attach um, a cable to try to pull us out. And as he did so, we got out and he almost, he almost got stuck himself. And so it's one of those where it was just, it was really stressful. We're trying to figure out, how do we get out of this? Eventually we were able to get free. He had already called the tow truck and like, oh, there's no paved roads, we don't go there. It's like, okay. But it's this moment of being able to have a friend that when we need, are in need, that they could come alongside and give us a toe. They can give us a helping hand. They'd be willing to drop what's going on and drive an hour out of the way in order to help us out. So then the idea was like, do we want to go geocaching now? It's like, no, I want to go home. <laughs> like, what's beautiful about this mutual care is the idea that we live in a world in which we always want to seek our own, have our own needs met first. We think, if I could take care of me, then I can help take care of other people. And yes, of course, there's some basic needs that we need, but what ends up happening is that if we do something out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, we will put ourselves above others. But in humility, we're called to put others' needs above our own. And so then we would think, okay, well, I'm going to help the other person. And then the fear is, well, if I help the other person, then who's going to help me? That in marriages, in relationships, we see, well, if I, if I come alongside him or if I help out her, what's going to happen? Because how am I going to be able to be, have my needs met in this relationship? But here's the beauty, is that when one person takes the lead and puts the other person's needs above their own, then in turn, that person will then come and make sure that both needs are mutually met. And instead of one person lording it over and getting their way, it's both people doing mutual care and mutual submission and helping one another. Former UN Security uh, General said this way What makes loneliness an anguish is not that I have no one to share my burden, but this I have only my own burden to bear. It's acknowledging that, yes, I want someone to help me, but we've been created. We are created in the form and in the image of a God who is a giver, of a God who is generous. So inside of us is this way that we have made in his image to want to be generous and to want to give, to want to serve, to want to come alongside. So when we have a place when we're in a hard time, there's the anguish of no one's here to help me, but there's the anguish of feeling there's no one close enough to me that would ask me to help them. Yet, when we start to take that walk across that wobbly bridge to figure out what's it like to go from a life alone to a life together, we can experience mutual care. When we fall down, someone will pick us up. When they fall down, we do the same for them. We're able to make sure that we have each other's backs, that we are supporting one another, encouraging one another, keeping one another accountable, and helping us to walk together closer to the Lord. One of the prayers that I pray for our girls is that they're close to one another um, and that they would pray for one another, that they're gonna be their lifelong prayer partners, but also that God would surround them with godly friends who would walk alongside them and help them in their walk with Jesus rather than those that would try to take them off the wrong path. And so it's praying that they are surrounded by godly community throughout their walk because friends, it's, we could stand alone for a while, but it's so much nicer to be able to stand with friends. That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had each other in the midst of the fire. And they had each other when they were told to bow down. And they could say, we're not going to bow down. Are we? No, we can't. Of course not. And together, they could help one another face the fiery furnace. And then in so doing, they experienced the grace and rescue of our God. Does that mean that everything's going to work out? No, of course not. I'm not saying it's going to be a miraculous moment every time friends are together. But is it much better and more likely that we'll be able to survive the fires and the storms and the trials in our lives if we are not alone? If we fall, if we have someone to pick us up, we're all the more likely to get it through. We might be hobbled and we might be broken, but we're not alone and we're not isolated. Continuing on in verse 11, or sorry, verse 12. So life together, there's fruit for our labor. Life together, there's mutual care, which is beautiful. But friends, this is something I just alluded to a little bit and want to dive in a little bit more. Life together makes us stronger. At my old church, we had um, a, a value for communion. It said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to far, go far, go together. We can do infinitely more together than we ever could apart. And so it's, have you ever been walking with someone and they're like fast walkers? And so they don't even want to have a conversation. like we got to go this way, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I wanted to tell you about my life, you know, and they're like walking too fast. It's like, no, no, no. We're not here to go fast. We want to go far. We're, we want to make sure that our walk with Jesus and with friends along the way is one that lasts not really strong for the next month, but strong for our entire lives. We don't want to just go fast and make it to the end of this month and be like, okay, I did it. How do we go far and how do we go together? We can do infinitely more together than we ever could apart. Ecclesiastes 4.12 describes it this way. It says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. I've had the honor uh, to be able to do dozens of weddings, um, over my time in ministry many of them are students that I knew when they were like 14 year old freshmen and then they get married in their 20s and they ask me to do their weddings and one of the ceremonies that we would often do is a quarter three strand ceremony in which we discuss how the center cord you wrap your lives around that center cord and while one rope would be easy to cut three intertwined together is much stronger it's not easily broken. We read this passage and we talk about how in, this, in their marriage and then also in our friendships, if we have God as that center cord, as God as the one with which we wrap and entangle and intertwine our lives, it's not easily broken. And if all of us in the relationship are keeping God at the center, then we're able to experience a strength that is beyond what we would ever be able to do on our own. But it's a strength that allows us to pull one another up, to keep each other warm, to comfort one another in difficult times, to challenge one another when we need it, and to speak truth and love in the moments that it's most necessary. So I just want to take a couple minutes at the very end. I know that's kind of a lot, but I want to take some time to look at Ecclesiastes 4, compare life alone, life together. But I also want to say, that's great, but this sermon series is called The Bridge. How do we take that step? You're telling me how hard it is to be here when I'm alone. You're telling me that it's important to be here when we have together, but how do we bridge the gap? How do we walk one wobbly step at a time in order to get to a point where we have the kind of friendships and relationships that we've been created for in community and that we have desires for throughout our lives? So I ask the question, how can we bridge the uh, bridge, build a bridge from life alone to life together? Now, before I go to the next slide, Um, Shaylin and Steph had a a really fun, like, mommy-daughter date on Friday night, and so Elise and I got to have a really fun daddy-daughter date that same night, and so while we're there, Elise was like, Daddy, I just want to talk about our lives. I'm like, this sounds wonderful, and so we would go on a walk, and she would tell me all about her life, and which friends she's playing with, and what school is like, and what's going on, and so I love it, and then she comes back, and she then says, Daddy, like, I want to hear about your life. I'm like, oh, my soul. And so I was like, well, what do you want to know? She's like, what's your sermon about this week? I'm like, oh, well, my sermon is about building friendships and what's that like? So I'm like, Elise, what's it like for you to build? Like, how do you start a friendship? She says, I go and I look at someone and if they're nice, I just walk right up to them and say, do you want to be my friend? (laughs) And they become friends. And I'm like, honey, that's awesome. Like, I'm like, do you think that's something that me as an adult, like I could just go walk up to someone and be like, do you want to be my friend? She's like, no, daddy, you need to do more. And I was like, what do I need to do? And I figured I should take her advice because this is what she, this is what she got. She got two pictures uh, this weekend on Friday. And so this one says Elise from Olivia with lots of hearts and stars and hearts and stars. And then this one says, I love being your friend from... Maggie or Magnolia and this is Elise and there's lots of hearts. I'm like, okay, clearly she's understood this friend situation better than I have, right? So she says, I love being your friend. So what does that look like? So, Daddy, I think you need to like spend more time with them and you need to like look and see if they're good and then you can, over time, you can build friendships. I'm like, do you want to preach on Sunday morning? (laughs) So here are three very brief Oh, probably, if I'm going to be honest, a little overly simplistic when it comes to advice, but, but let's go with these three things to start with how to take one wobbly step at a time. The first one is to be intentional. The best friendships that I've had, that I've developed with, are the ones when, you know, no, I did not walk up to them and said, do you want to be my friend? But I said, hey, let's, 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 let's t- take some time to meet. Like, let's actually connect. Now, what's fun is that, you know, this is a stereotypical thing, so I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to pigeonhole people or, or, or do that, but in a lot of ways, I know that women can bond through talking, through conversation, right? When I led, Steph and I led a high school, like I mentioned, a small group before, and it was a co-ed small group at first before it got big enough that we needed to split. But when it was a co-ed small group, there was a time when um, none of the high school boys showed up. And so it was Steph, me, and probably about eight or so of the high school girls and so I'm sitting here, and I'm like, all right, well, one of the things we did at the very beginning of every single small group time was to say, what was your best moment of the week, and what was your worst moment of the week? Like, it allows us to know how we can praise God together. And then when you talk about the worst moment of the week, it allows us to know how we can pray for them at the end of the service, and th- or, excuse me, the end of the group and throughout um, the week. And so, so, you know, we started off like, hey, how was your best, and what was your worst? And they started sharing. And by the time the last girl shared... Our small group time was over. They had talked so much and been able to share so much. And I was like, I'm looking, I'm like, I'm looking at my study. I'm like, how are we going like to squeeze this? What are we going to do? And Steph was like, we, they all left. I'm like, honey, that was like the hardest small group for me. Like, we didn't get anything done. She was like, that was one of the best ones for me because we just got to talk and connect and build relationships. See, guys, we often, again, don't want to overly pigeonhole, but we often like to bond over activities. That's why you go to a men's retreat, and yes, you talk about areas in our lives that we might want to grow in, but we do so while throwing axes. You know, like we do so while having archery. We do so while, you know, uh, the other people encourage me from the bottom of the ground when I'm trying not to fall off of a bridge. Yes, thank you, Jeremy. I see you cheering in the background. So it's one of those where we often, again, we often Start building bridges through activities for guys, but then allowing the opportunity for conversations to develop. So we need to be intentional. If that means you need to intentionally ask someone, hey, can we, can we go ahead and like have a coffee time that we meet up? Can we have a meal that we do? Or if you're like, hey, can we go throw axes together? Can we go golfing? Which my experience of golfing is boomers. I don't know how to actually play golf. So that's it, you know, so... Being intentional and being willing to take that first step. The next one is to be consistent. The best friendships I've had are the ones we say, let's meet every Tuesday morning or every other Thursday or whatever, but it's consistent. It's not texting, hey, are you sure? Like, are we going to meet today? It's, no, this is our time. This is the time that we have both set aside as a value in our lives to make sure that we are coming alongside one another, asking how we're doing, how our walk with the Lord is doing, how our relationships with our spouse or how our kids are it's intentionally saying how let's walk alongside each other and consistently doing it because i've learned that the best relationships they don't go fast but in order for them to go far they take time seeds have to be planted they're watered and they grow and now i realize i'm back in the season series again it's okay be intentional be consistent but then be open There's not a lot of value in saying, hey, let's meet up every Tuesday morning and not sharing anything actually about your life. If you meet up and all you talk about is fantasy football, or all you talk about is just what's going on at work in regards to a project that you're working on, or if all you talk about is just how the kids are, you know, struggling with school, that's important. But if it doesn't open up into then saying, and so here's where I need help, or here's where I'd like some advice, Or here's something that I'm just struggling with. Can you just pray for me? I don't need your answer right now. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to know it and to pray for me regarding it. Be intentional. Be consistent. Be open. Now to close. Um, I wanted to share a couple more pictures of when I went, uh, to New York in May of 2017. Uh, there's a group of us that we went for a, um, emotionally healthy spirituality conference, uh, through Pete Scazzaro. And so a group from my old church, we flew out there to figure out how can we bring this to our church. And so it was a, a two day conference, we got to spend a couple days there. And the first night we got in, we flew in and then we went to the Brooklyn bridge. And so I was able to go and I took a couple pictures, um, This is like my attempt at being artsy. But, you know, I had a picture here with the suspension bridge. Um, I have this one where there's cars that come underneath you and then just the beautiful skyline. And the Brooklyn Bridge was a bridge that connects the island of Manhattan to Long Island. And what they talked about was the idea when they designed is they wanted to build that connection. But then also the fact that when this was made, it was the longest suspension bridge in the world at that time. It took like 13 years from construction starting in 1870 to 1883 in March when it was completed. It was one where people talked about the marvel of of just the modern architecture and the fact that they were able to make it work. And it was something that was marked as like a historical um, place. in in the 1960s. And so it's this beautiful thing where you get to see what it was like. And to be honest, I didn't have the fear I normally have on bridges. And I think it's because there was a part where I knew there was at least something underneath me. So instead of falling into the ocean, if I fell, I would just fall in front of a car. That's not better, but I felt better about it. So um, recognizing that it's this idea of it was a bridge that was connecting two islands that allowed for there to be interaction, relationship going forth and back between them. And John Donne, poet, talks about how no man is an island. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us feel like we are islands who are sitting here and maybe we're on a platform standing 30 feet in the air and we're afraid of taking a next step. But no one is meant to live life alone. None of us are meant to be living in isolation even the prisons know that that's the punishment rather than a choice that we ought to make for ourselves. And especially so when we know and have people around us who know and love Jesus, who can help us be that cord of three strands, and we wrap our friendship around our Lord and allow that to help us to be stronger than we ever could by ourselves. Friends, this is infinitely much easier to preach about on a Sunday morning at 9.58 a.m. than it is to live out in our lives. It's infinitely easier for me to say, okay, just go, you know, go and be blessed and go do that now. It's a lot harder for you. It's a lot harder for me. It's a lot harder for us to take those steps. But friends, if we'd be willing to be intentional, consistent, and open The Brooklyn Bridge was able to bridge two islands to allow relationship, commerce, and exchange between these two boroughs. You and I, we can build bridges between us when we feel like an island and others who feel like they're an island and say, let's build this bridge so there could be community, we could do life together, encouragement, accountability, mutual care, fruit for our labor, and we could be stronger together than we ever could have been apart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who's part of our services today, whether it's, uh, again, live or watching online midweek or whatever that looks like, Lord. I I pray, God, that as we start a series, as we just introduce the importance of friendship in in a world in which loneliness is so prevalent, God, may you help us to be willing to take those one wobbly step at a time. God, I thank you for those who have great friendships and relationships. And this may feel like it's a, a sermon that doesn't apply to them in this moment. But God, maybe perhaps you would be stirring inside them someone to, that they ought to invest in, whom they see as being lonely. To extend to someone else while they're in a time of need. Lord, in order to invite them to build a bridge. God, I pray that you would help us to have the eyes to see those who are hurting and the courage and to pursue those who are broken, the feet to walk where you want us to walk in relationship with people, the arms to embrace those who are going through difficult times. May we have your heart. May we have your heart to be able to bring people closer and to draw closer to one another in community and to wrap our lives and our friendships and our marriages and our families around you as the center strand. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for this time we have together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.